Good afternoon. Welcome to a short discussion on unaccompanied youth and human trafficking. And where I worked before, I've recently retired, but where I worked before, I was had the privilege of being the homeless and foster liaison. In my work there, I had many unaccompanied youth, many students who did not have a safe place to stay each night. They couch surfed. And one of the questions I'd like to ask is when you hear the word unaccompanied youth, what are some of the first things that come to mind? What are some of the challenges that you think of when you hear the term unaccompanied youth? It was always amazing to me the resilience of some of these children that I knew were living from house to house, place to place, sometimes in a car, living in their own car, living in someone else's car. But they were so determined to make it. They had dreams. They had goals many times. But it was a challenge for them uh, to put those in play. And really, for many, did not believe they would actually come true. As we look at our unaccompanied youth, they are covered under our McKinney-Vento Homeless Assistance Act. The children... Um, lack a fixed, regular, and adequate residence. They do not have a place to stay. Many times they themselves are living doubled up with someone else um, in another house, but temporarily. It's not their parents' home, and it's not a relative's home. It's someone that's allowed them into their, into their place to be. Some of them have actually stayed in trailer parks with others. Some stay in trailer parks we had one child who stayed in a trailer park who slept in a lawn chair outside a trailer of a family that he knew that lived there. There was not room inside. If it happened to rain or different things weather-wise, they did allow him to come in or what have you, but he didn't want to impose. And he had, he had a sleeping bag, and he would literally stay on a lawn chair outside the house. There are emergency shelters and transitional shelters, but... For our children who are unaccompanied youth, it can be a very dangerous place for a 14, 15, 16-year-old to spend the night in the men's shelter or the women's shelter, not knowing what might happen or to him leaving, coming in, many, many different situations, as you can imagine. McKinney-Vento also covers those who live in a public or private place that's not designated for sleeping accommodations cars, public spaces. As, as we can see on the screen, there are many different ways in which McKinney-Vento qualifies a child as, uh, as homeless. Homeless with an additional layer of being unaccompanied. They're having to fight this battle all on their own. They're having to find their place to stay, find food, find clothing without the support of a family around them. They, too, have opportunity for immediate enrollment, even if they do not have a parent accompany them to the school. They go, they can sign up, they can register, um, and schools, by law, must enroll the children. Now, are there questions? There's always questions. Do we want to find out everything about them? Absolutely. Do we want to make sure that if they're a runaway or they've been abused or there's other circumstances that have um, caused them to be unaccompanied, we want to make sure that we support them and find out that information as well. But enrollment is required. 
Choice of schools is, is a situation where if they're living and they're not, don't have a home address, many times they will choose a school closest to where they have been staying uh, with family, with, with friends or with, with someone that they know, other students perhaps. We provide transportation for our unaccompanied youth as well. The challenge is it takes two to three days many times to set up a bus route to pick up an individual child. And if they're continuously moving, then it becomes a challenge. One of the things that, that happened in our district that we were so thankful for is that the district worked out an agreement with the public transportation in town and students were able to ride the city bus to school with their um, school ID badge. And so if we were not able to set up a bus because they were moving frequently, they were able to catch the city bus and get to school um, on time. There was an app for them to download on their phone so they could see where the pickup places were and help them determine the bus route and which to get to the schools. But transportation is something that's mandated by McKinney-Vento. And so we had to do our best to work with them to find a way to transport them to school. Services needed to be provided for them. And again, with dispute resolution, if there were challenges with enrollment, with placement, we were there to be able to help them because by law, we were to do just that. Youth experiencing homelessness who are not in the physical custody of their parent or guardian poses many challenges. Who signs for medical releases? Who signs for field trip releases, college visits? There's so many things in which schools require a signature from a parent or guardian. The law also provides opportunity for the homeless liaison in the district to be able to, to work in in that sense to be able to provide for them a signature when needed for many of those activities to be able to experience and work with. Many times they were able to find a family member of some sort who would sign the documents even though they were not allowed to stay there. We found in the research, and, and you see in the lower right-hand corner of your screen, comes from the National Association of Education of Homeless Children and Youth. 20 to 40% were abused sexually in their homes. 40 to 60% of our unaccompanied youth were abused physically. When you look at six out of every 10 children who end up on the streets having been physically abused more, more times than not by an older person or an adult, uh, someone who lived in the home, it was very difficult for our children to trust adults. Statistics tell us one picture, but they don't always give us the full picture. More than 65% or two-thirds of our youth reported at least one parent had abused drugs or abuses on a regular basis, drugs or alcohol. So not only were they challenged in in going into a home that they were homeless to begin with, drugs and alcohol played a part of increasing that level of abuse that occurred with so many of our children. 20 to 40 percent of our youth have been thrown out due to their sexual orientation or because of pregnancy. 
I had one young girl two years ago who was set to graduate, but found out and she was graduating with a scholarship already, college plans in place. She found out in April she was pregnant. Mom said, fine, you're an adult now. Bye. And this child worked for two months to try to keep her life together, find a place to live, keep her schoolwork up until she could graduate from high school. And then we had to help her with that transition to her college and finding scholarships and more grants and what have you in order to help her reach her goal and her dreams of going on to college. Sexual orientation with our with our kids. We had several who, who came to, to our location called the Cove that we'll talk more about uh, in a few moments, who had been kicked out because they had expressed to a parent or guardian their sexual orientation. And the many times arguments, disagreements, or just non-acceptance occurred, and the families uh, decided that that child needed to be on their own or the child would leave due to the pressures and the hostilities that they faced at home. 25% of our youth and 25% of our foster youth are at high risk for human trafficking, which we're going to talk about as well. When you think about the kids who cannot find a place to stay at night, they become targets being on the street looking for a place to stay, staying, walking around places where people frequent to be picked up by someone who has intentions that are not worthy for them. I had the privilege of, of listening to Ms. Sparks, uh, who's the director of child sex trafficking team for the state of Texas. The whole focus behind unaccompanied youth and human trafficking is a big picture that has to be clearly articulated to schools and to communities as the process needed for helping our students. The goal behind the organization and the goal for all of us who work with unaccompanied youth, and particularly those who have been trafficked, is to protect them to recognize who they are, what they've been through, to help them recover and then restore that confidence and to bring justice for those who have abused those children. As we look at each one of these individually, protecting our children and our youth by building awareness of and a resilience to the exploitation, we can protect our children better on the front side than to try to bring them out many times. One of our focuses with our unaccompanied youth was to make sure they understood what human trafficking was all about, ways in which they were targeted, ways in which they were enticed to become a part of this. Because if we can help them become aware of the circumstances around them, and prevent them from getting involved much easier than trying to bring them out. We were a part of the Texas Triangle. Houston, San Antonio, Dallas was the main trafficking triangle in the state of Texas. 
But what we found out, and I was a part of the human, the human trafficking coalition there in the state, in our district, and in our community. And what we, what we were told and what we knew from the statistics and from the information provided, that they're constantly on the move. And I'm sure in every state, there is a triangle, a path, a, a route in which they travel back and forth, to and from, be it a triangle, be it some other, other shape. But there's always a path in which they move, uh, move their, their people around because they don't want to get caught. And they know if they stay too long in one place, many times they will. The little stars represent the places along the way within that triangle where we knew were hot spots as well for stop-offs between the larger cities. Waco was actually one of the stop-off places. We were not a large town, but we were a college town. And so we were, we were, and we were on a main highway. We were partway between San Antonio and Fort Worth, Dallas area. Many times families or children would be missing, would be gone for long weekends, and we were finding out so many different things about what was happening. We had a very strong coalition there in Waco, and, and so many arrests were made over the last couple of years with the focus with law enforcement, with the schools, and with the organizations who were paying close attention to what was happening with not only human trafficking in the sense of sex trafficking, but and also with labor trafficking as well. We want to recognize child sexual exploitation in all its forms by raising public awareness and implementing screening tools for our victims. I think recognizing what that might look like was a key piece. When you, when you look at the research, and this is Stop the Traffic, it's, it's a website that I've listed there for you, and it's the different types of exploitation that occur. We think many times of, of, of places where kids can be exploited. Think of an unaccompanied youth who may be 17, 16, 17 years of age, and, and they're trying to find a place to stay. Someone says, come with me. Sometimes that leads them to prostitution. Sometimes it's a massage parlor. One of the latest busts in the, in the area was a massage parlor that was legitimate next to a hearing aid place that I had gone to several times. Kids going into there to find a place to stay in the evening may not have realized or did not realize that what was going to happen to them once they got there. Escort agencies. Um, Many of our bars that had the pole lap dancing, actually in, in that town, there was a strong connection with many of those bars to call literally the, um, the authorities when they feared that our younger children were coming in. Anytime a younger person came in, they notified the authorities because they knew the strong coalition was going going to be supporting that child and they needed to stay on the positive side of the law and help with uh, finding those kids who needed that support. Forced marriage has happened many times uh, in communities. Stripping on the webcam. We know webcams, you know, all kinds of things. So just do this, even on the phones. You know, show me this, show me that. I mean, we, it's amazing to me what the kids who we worked with would come up and say, well, I got an email from so-and-so. I got a text from so-and-so. 
that said, you know, if you'll just show me this or take a picture of this and this, then I'll send you money or I'll get you money. Then they threaten the child with the pictures to send it out if the child doesn't pose more frequently or do other things for them. They, they tell them they can make money on phone sex lines, that they can be the voice on the other end. Many times that leads, however, to participation in acts that they do not want to do, and they become involved in that web of sex trafficking. Pornography, mail-order brides, sex tourism, there's so many ways in which kids can be exploited, and adults um, in this world today. It's a very sad situation to me. It's something that we need to pay close attention to in educating our young people to keep them out of the lures of that business and industry. Recovering our victims with protective, empowering, not punitive collaboration. It's a big challenge. It's a huge challenge in the fact that once they become involved, money's coming in, they have developed a support system within that web, it's difficult many times to bring them out, and we have to bring them out into another bond, another situation to where those resources are being met and which we're able to monitor that, work with them on a regular basis and plan it such that we don't leave these children unattended, be it emotional attachment, physical attachment, you name it. Again, looking at the full battery of resources available to the child is key and critical. Who's providing those resources for the child? Many times it's that pimp, it's that person, it's maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend that's gotten them into that. But we've got to be able to empower from a collaborative effort the resources that they need to help them break that bond with that trafficker uh, and get them on the right path. We found many times, however, that if we, in, in the beginning, we would help these students who we knew had been trafficked, who said they had been trafficked, find a place to stay. Only, literally, we had one who went out the back door before we drove out of the parking lot. They were going back to that person that they knew would house them and feed them and clothe them, even though they were being sexually abused. Um, at the same time, but it was something they knew, and there was that bonding there, that attachment there that was difficult to break. We found that if we did not put that child into a, a, an apartment, a room, a, a, a place where they could stay, where someone was there watching with them, talking with them, uh, sharing with them, nurturing them, and providing resources for them, chances were we would lose them. Restore survivors through trauma-informed and responsive services. That initial leaving your abuser, leaving the pimp, leaving that person that's gotten you into this is the first step. But that continuous responsive service to providing those resources for them is key and critical. They need time to heal. They need time to thrive. They need time to be angry and figure out again who they are as an individual. And counseling and being able to provide medical attention and the whole gamut of resources that that child needed 
it was imperative that the adults around them were supportive and encouraging and listened attentively to their needs and their challenges. Bringing justice for survivors by holding traffickers, buyers, and those who profit from trafficking accountable. This piece was not in our control. We would support the victims. We would attend trials with the victims if that was the case. And many times we had hoped that the child did not have to go to that trial. Many times if they were, they did not, but for many, they were having to, to be in the presence of that abuser. Um, we had, a, we had a biker group in town that was great to support our kids. And where the, even if they were just going to an activity, they were available to escort that child, go with that child, um, and, and support them. Be that, be that body that's going to say, don't mess with this one. I had the privilege of sitting at roundtable discussions with the group on several occasions. Terrific group of, of ad adults who wanted to support and provide that nurturing environment for our kids. One of the things that we encourage districts to do is, is for the counselors to be familiar with. Now, it's not always the counselor's responsibility, obviously. But with this, we, we needed them to be aware of the commercial sexual, sexual exploitation identification tool. There's several of them. I've just listed one that's available online. They worked with a group in San Antonio and Austin from California. Um, but it, it's a good tool to use that goes through and identifies the problems and interventions and different things that are needed. It's a very short tool to use, but it does provide key information. People need to be aware. Educators need to be aware of what, what this is all about and, and to look at those identification tools because many times they will give you clues about kids that may be in that trafficking circle that you're not aware of. Much more details listed on the process for outcry organizations. We did not do the screening tool, but we referred them to and worked closely with our human trafficking coalition in town, and they did that service there. We linked them up with somebody who could come to the school or come to the, the place where they were staying. And many times, again, it was an unaccompanied youth who was not staying in a regular location in the school many times was the best place to, to work with them. But it is an important aspect of working with our unaccompanied youth who have been trafficked to help find out all of the specifics about what's going on with them, to be able to gather information for the interventions needed for that specific child. 75% of the kids who were identified as being trafficked had been going on for more than two years. Many times it had started when they were 13 or 14 years of age, and it had continued. For one, it was, again, it was survival. It was about survival for some. Some, it was about fear. They were afraid that if they told anyone, their, their families would be harmed, which they, they were told that that might happen. If you tell, we'll hurt your best friend, or so on and so forth. 75% don't see themselves as being exploited. 
what I mentioned earlier about being on the front side of explaining human trafficking, the an awareness of what happens, an awareness of what they're going, you know, the circumstances behind it, what they might entice you with and so on. It's much easier to, to help prevent that and teach them to get away from that and say no before it ever happened. Because once they're in that cycle, it's difficult for them to see that they are being exploited. I had two young girls at my middle school where I was the principal who I knew were being trafficked. And I'll share that in just a moment, a little bit more information about that. They, they didn't see it as anything wrong. But Miss E, I get new clothes. Miss E, I got plenty of food. I got money for food. I, they all had nails. They, you know, their nails were all done and their hair was done. And every, everything that costs money as far as physical appearance was done by their pimp. And many times the pimp, in this case, in both instances, the pimp was the boyfriend. They lived with the boyfriend. People came over. They had sex. Money was exchanged. She got part. He got part. But she stayed there with him. And to help them see this is not the way you need to live your life to fulfill your dreams and goals. So it's difficult to do sometimes. 50%, 14 years of age or younger when it started. And, and I can attest to the fact that my middle school was a target. You know, looking at middle school kids, we were 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. I had a young girl come in. And she enrolled in school. It was in about February that year, um, beautiful young lady. She was an eighth grader. She appeared older, but she, she had a documentation that showed she was in eighth grade. She said she lived with her uncle, and they had just moved to town. I noticed the first day in the cafeteria, the girls kind of, you know, clamored around her as they knew do new girls around her, but, but she didn't really fit in with, with those girls. When she went into the cafeteria, she looked for someone who was sitting alone. And she sat down there. I was paying very close attention to her because I was very curious about her from the get-go. The next day, she sat with another young lady who was sitting off to the side. The next day, she went back to the first one that she had sat with. And the conversation struck up. And I could see them laughing and enjoying themselves. And I thought, okay, she's got a new friend. We're good. On Thursday afternoon, the young lady that she was sitting with, who had been in the school for three years, she came by the office, and I just said, how are you? And she said, I'm doing good. I have a new friend. I'm going to her house this weekend to spend the weekend with her. We're going shopping. I said, you are? She said, yes. She said, she's, she's going to take me shopping. I said, that's, that's interesting. I said, does your mom know? And she said, well, mom's gone this weekend. You know, we live with my grandma and my aunt lives there too. And, you know, this was one of my homeless kids who was doubled up. And I said, well, I think you need to talk to mom about this before you go. She won't care. And I said, well, I would talk to her anyway. After she went on to class, the young lady who had just enrolled was going to class late. And I pulled her into the office and I said, listen, I, I need to have some more information. I just want to find out a little bit more about you and what's going on. Can you tell me where you've just come from? 
And she said, I prefer not to do that. And I said, but you're living with your uncle. Is he your mom's brother or your dad's brother? That's really none of your business. And I said, well, you know, I've got 534 kids in this school and all the children here are my business while you're at school with me. And I said, I'm very concerned about the relationship that you struck up with one of your new friends. I hear she's coming to your house this weekend and you're going to buy her new clothes. And she said, I think I need to call my uncle. And I said, I, okay. And she called her uncle and she said, I need you to come get me. And that was the last we saw of her. We found out uh, about a week and a half later that she was a part of a group and they were kids were enrolling in school and they were trying to find targets to bring to the house on the weekends. They promised them the new clothes. They take them to Dallas, Fort Worth area. They take them to San Antonio. They take them to College Station. They take them to another larger town where they are trafficked and abused. And then they threaten them to not tell. And they'll be going for another weekend the next weekend. It had happened in two other cities close to us with the same young lady who'd enrolled in school. We were able to stop that simply by asking the right questions. I didn't, wouldn't have had any idea to ask the questions if my husband had not been to a trafficking workshop the prior week when I was sharing with him that evening about my curiosity about her. His eyes got big and he said, oh, honey, you need to have a longer conversation with her. It's challenging when you go to schools, when our kids are so desperate for nice things and they're so desperate to be sick, to, to, to look pleasing. You know, they, they want to be wanted. And if they're a child who has not been wanted, particularly our unaccompanied youth, they become such extreme. There's a, such an extreme vulnerability to being trafficked by people who will take advantage of them. This piece of information that comes from We Are Thorn organization shows the relationship to the trafficker by age. You'll notice that those who are zero to 10 years are elementary school kids and five to 10. If they are trafficked more than 76% of the time, it is by a family member. Family member, it can be a step parent, aunt, uncle, cousins, um, someone else that's living within that household. Um, we had we had a family who uh, had moved into our area. She had three children, two girls and a boy. They were the two girls were in middle school. The boy was in high school. We literally, uh, the homeless department, had helped them and supported them, worked with them, and and the daughter. I when I mentioned clothing, I said, "Do you need uniforms?" And she said, "Oh no." We work for our own clothes, and her mother literally hit her. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a hard hit. But it was one of those hush kind of hits. And I said, you work for your own clothes? And she said, yes, we do. And mother was giving her this look like, please don't say anything else. But um, we continued to talk with the young lady, and they did work for their clothes. And this mother was literally trafficking her own children. She was arrested two months later uh, because videos had been taken and there was proof of that. Um, it was a very sad situation, but it does happen, folks. It does happen. Own family members trafficking their kids so they can pay bills or live, live the life that they choose, choose to live by the expense of others. 
You'll see the green bars are strangers, and that's where so many of our teenagers fall in and are picked up by strangers on the road. Kids walking around at night with no place to stay, no place to go. So many of our unaccompanied youth that reached out to us, having been trafficked, but someone would pull by and say, you can come to my house and stay tonight. Well, so many times that led to an abuse that then in order to remain there, they had to continue the sexual activity. There's so many ways in which our kids are manipulated and used and, 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 and abused uh, in this society. It's just sad to me how that works. Types of trafficking, the traditional exploiter, the pimp or the boyfriend, the familial trafficking that we just talked about, gang-related trafficking. Many of, We had a group of, of, of a, two different gangs in town, initiation into that gang was to be allowed to be pimped out to others in order to provide funds for the gang. Survival sex probably is a term that came up with many of our unaccompanied youth. As I mentioned, the person that drives by and picks up someone and offers them a place to stay, in exchange for the place to stay, sex is traded for that. And it's what they simply call survival sex. He says, it has no meaning, miss. It has no meaning. It just gives me a place to stay and food to eat. Signs of sexual exploitation in the schools. One of the things I encourage all schools to do is is be aware, be aware of your kids, particularly if you know that there are changes that happen, changes in attendance, um, in friends groups, in vocabulary, demeanor, attitude. There's so many things. We had a young girl who um, all of a sudden she'd been riding the bus to school and riding the bus to school. and She was living doubled up with another family. And then all of a sudden She's being dropped off each morning, and she was typically late. And that's how we began to see the pattern is most mornings she was dropped off um, 15, 20 minutes after school started. Well, when the count, actually the assistant principal talked with her, she said, well, that's who I stay with now, and that's when they can bring me. And they called me and said, can you set up a bus for her? And, and so I called, couldn't get a hold of a parent in location. I called and talked to the child at school through the counselor. And she said, oh, no, 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 you can't send the school bus. You can't send the school bus. He'll get mad. And through that conversation and through working with her, we found that she was being uh, living there basically uh, for survival sex. Many times the girls who, who, when I knew they were becoming involved at the middle school, they came in with designer clothes on. And as I mentioned before, the manicures and the whole, the whole nine yards of, of, you know, new things. When I knew that their families were not able to provide that for them, that additional monies was either coming from, from um, the drug trade, which was also pretty frequent. But what we found was with many of our teenage girls and boys, the sexual exploitation component was much stronger um, than the drugs. Frequent runaway. Kids who are constantly running away from home um, needs to be uh, investigated as to why. Many times that we found in working with the trafficking agency there in, in town was that 
runaways were happening when someone in the home was attempting to traffic them or to abuse them in some way. What can we do for our unaccompanied students? What do they need? Food, academic support, emotional support, clothing, safety, shelter, and access to health care. You know, as we begin to look at our kids in a little more detail, that emotional security piece is critical. Who's my champion? Who's going to support me? There has to be one adult they can trust. Who's going to be that go-to person? And trust does not come easily with our children who are unaccompanied many times. There's not been a situation to where the relationships have been solid, where the, the support systems have not been solid. They may even have gotten a job, but then now people at home are taking that money for their own needs instead of the child being able to keep it. Identifying their support system is critical. We do a resource analysis. We do intake with our, our unaccompanied youth. What are the resources this child has available to them? Because we know many, that interventions can only be done based on resources present. So many times in addition to that, we must develop or provide that resource for them. They are navigating unsure territory. We've got kids who've lived with, with a parent, with a guardian for 14, 15, 16 years of their life. They've had an adult and all of a sudden they've been kicked out or they've run away or there's some something going on. And they are in new territory trying to fend for themselves, trying to find what they need. And it is a huge challenge. Helping Unaccompanied youth learn to speak to adults in authority needs to be on everyone's mind. We work with them. How do we help them learn to negotiate for themselves? How do we help them learn to speak with authority without becoming um, volatile, without being uh, becoming um, angry? You know, in different I have so many kids who just lash out and don't understand how to tile that back and how to tone that back down. I think Dr. Dr. Payne's book on emotional poverty helped us understand so much about what the children also needed to understand about their own emotional well-being and how, how they too could understand what happens when that limbic lava occurs and their explosions occur because it's just so much is built up they can't handle it anymore. Helping them understand how to speak in an adult voice instead of bossing, demanding, yelling um, at the authority or the teacher or the principal or the administrator. What I would also encourage administrators and school personnel to realize is so many of our children have never been taught that. They don't know how to handle that. They, they have, they've been their own adult. If they've been their own parent. They only know how to be a child voice, how to whine and, and, and blame things on others. So they get bossy parent type voice and they're demanding and they're yelling and they're, and they're bossing and they're angry. They don't have a voice of negotiation as Eric Byrne calls his, the voices. An adult voice that's a negotiative voice that says, this is what I need you to understand about my situation. 
But we need educators to know and understand that if they don't have those tools to speak to adults and authority well, we need to help them learn that, at least acknowledge that that's not about me when those arguments occur, when that outburst occurs. It's not about me as an educator. It's about where they're coming from. And we can help them, support them, teach them ways in which they can better handle those conversations. The Cove is a place in, in Waco, Texas, that supports homeless unaccompanied youth. It's a fabulous facility that's now about four years old, coming into its fourth year next year. And, and it is an after-school program that's open from four to eight in the evenings. Um, and it provides, we provide transportation from the school schools in the school district to the Cove. The Cove is not a part of the school district. It is simply um, an independent agency that works with the kids. They're a nurturing center and they want to empower them to, to be powerful young adults. I had the privilege of serving on the board at the Cove and being a part of that conversation and growing with them over the last couple of years. The goal is to strengthen the ability for the students to graduate and thrive in college or the workforce and, and prevent that chronic homelessness that many times happens in that cycle of poverty that's not broken. Welcome to the Cove. As you walk in, there's always a sign and there's an intake process where an analysis is done of the child's resources and the needs, their emotional well-being, their physical needs. All of that's done on intake when a new child, new student comes to the Cove. We provide homework help for them. The school is able to support that because they support only the district's children. Laptops were available for them. There was Wi-Fi there so they could do their homework. There was study space available. The district was able through the grant um, uh, from the federal government through the state, the Techie grant this year, this last year, uh, to provide tutors for them uh, to be able to come in by subject and help them prepare for assessments, complete assignments, uh, and be that support system for them when they had questions about schoolwork. They were also able to work online with test prep, um, ACT, SAT, TSI prep, that type thing, through um, the computers that were located there for credit recovery or for absence makeup, much as they would do in Saturday school as well, spending time there. They were credited by the high schools for their hours spent in work as well as it was documented as what they were doing. There were family-style dinners every night, and so many of the children who were unaccompanied youth, who had been homeless, many of them before uh, they had become unaccompanied, had never experienced a full table of adults sitting together or children sitting together, conversing over dinner and a hot meal prepared for them. Conversations in the beginning uh, start out very slowly, so we began having sent, you know, thought starters that went around the table so people could share. They needed to all be at the table during dinner. It was not an optional activity. Healthy snacks were provided when they got off the bus each day when they first came in. They're always hungry, something to eat and drink to snack on before the dinner was served. 
We also provided washer and dryers for the children because so much of what they owned, many times their whole wardrobe, was stuffed in a backpack that they carried with them. Many times they only had two pair of pants and two or three shirts, and so they would rotate those out, but we could, we could help them by at least washing something new each time they came. Showers were there so that they could shower and not have to ask the person who they were going home with or couch surfing, staying with a friend, can I take a shower? Can I wash my clothes? Those services were provided at the Cove so that they did not have to impose on anyone that they were uh, staying with. Counseling was available. We had, uh, we were blessed to have interns from the local universities who were uh, social work counselors who were, who were there to provide assistance for the kids. We also had licensed counselors who were there. We had a medical doctor who volunteered his time to come in one, sometimes two days a week to help our students to, to, check with them on medications, on what they needed. Um, some of them had been on monthly medications before, needed that to continue for them to have a successful school environment, a health environment. And so he was there to help with that. Gift cards were provided, medications were provided for them. Children were never allowed to go with the gift cards to the to the pharmacies or the stores to get that, but an adult would take care of that information that and bring that back for them. But that support was there to help them with those physical needs as well. We had haircutting services. We were right next door to a, a beauty shop. There was another one across the street and they were wonderful about um, accepting our children for us to call and say, we've got a kiddo that needs a haircut. Can you provide it for them? So many supports within the community when they were contacted, were willing to come and assist. Each evening, there was a, a developmental programming that we had that different speakers would come in and talk about things such as filling out a job application, how to handle your money, um, how to set up a bank account. Um, sex trafficking was one of the topics that was always covered. Uh, mental health was covered, you name it. We had a whole list every night of the week that someone was coming in and supporting the kids. 15 to 20 minutes, just a short conversation on something that would help them thrive in the community. We also assisted with, again, with SNAP and Medicaid uh, paperwork, helping those students who were truly on their own to be able to have opportunity for food and for medical care uh, as needed. This is a picture that shows uh, some of the rooms there. Uh, we had a gathering room, a large living room area. Uh, we were blessed to have much of it. Who, um, the couches and the furnishings supplied by many of the vendors in the area, businesses in the area that would each take a room and help support that. You see the dining table there, the long dining table that could hold up to 20 people. Uh, and their caseload as many times was 13 to 17. Sometimes at nights it was even even larger. We had washer dryers, as I mentioned. We have a reading room where the, filled with all kinds of books that have been donated by one of the sororities there in town. Uh, many, many books for them to be able to use. And a place to read, just lay on the couch, the beanbags on the floor, a place to just be quiet and spend some time. The schedule was very specific. 
a time for the snack and a time for the, the joint meeting. We explained the schedule for the evening and who the speaker was for that night. They had independent time where they were to work on their homework or different activities that, that were going on. They did have some 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 in some time on their own as well. They had an art room that they could go in and and work on art. And we had an art therapist who came in, a counselor who was who was trained in how to use art as therapy and how to show your emotions through being able to draw, to to, to color, to do different different activities with art in order to help them express themselves. Great place to support and nurture children. Dr. Rita Pearson talks about every child deserves a champion. Every child deserves a champion. Many of our unaccompanied youth, many of our children who, who struggle the most did not have that champion in their lives. Educators, as we look at our schools, we have so many unaccompanied youth who are who are not identified. They're quiet. They stay to themselves. Uh, we may never know that they're sleeping in a car or couch surfing in the night if the conversations aren't there. One of the, the biggest challenges with schools today is who's that person going to be that makes connection with those children. We have at-risk counselors. We have counselors on staff. We have teachers who, who have that one child that they just know they've got a positive relationship with and, and they, they can talk to those children. But they need to have information on who they reach out to in order to, with very strict confidence and confidentiality about some of our kiddos. When they find out things are happening in their lives with the sexual abuse, with trafficking, with physical abuse, with any of those things, they need to be able to reach out with confidence that that child's needs are going to be met. Dr. Pearson says every child deserves a champion, an adult who will never give up on them, who understands the power of connection and insists that they become the best that they can possibly be. Our unaccompanied youth deserve to have a champion.